in the blood of Calvary's land. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat, Jesus paid it all, all to him I He washed it white as snow. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We have Mr. Greg Pell going to come around and uh, sing a couple for us and minister to us. So you pray for him as he comes around and uh, as he ministers to us in song. Let me touch him, let me touch Jesus. Let me touch him as he passes by. So when I shall reach out to others, they shall know him, they shall live and not die. So to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him, let me touch Jesus, so that others may know and be blessed. There's a river, a river flowing from within, and it cleanses my soul. And the flow sets my heart to glowing. Holy Spirit, more than silver and gold. Oh, to be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him, let me touch Jesus, 
so that others may know and be blessed. Oh, let me touch you, let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. That's my prayer today. I want the Lord to touch me so that I can touch others and be a light. I have come to this ocean and the waves of fear are starting to grow Doubts and questions are rising with the tide. So I'm clinging to the one sure thing I know. I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. And I will hold on with all my might. And I will hold loosely things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus I will hold on to Jesus for life cause I've tried to hold many treasures they just keep slipping through my fingers like sand. Cause there's one treasure that means more than breath itself. So I'm clinging to it with everything I am. And I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. And I will hold on with all my might and I will hold loosely with things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus I will hold on to Jesus for life like a child holding on to a promise I will cling to his word and believe. I will press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I will hold on to the hand of my Savior. And I will hold on with all my might and I will hold loosely the things that are fleeting and hold on to Jesus for life 
I will hold on to Jesus for life. Hold on to Jesus. I will hold on to Jesus for But sometimes I wonder what he can do through me. No great success to show, no glory on my own, yet in my weakness he is there to let me His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. And He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in His power, the weak become strong his strength is perfect his strength is perfect we can only know the power that he holds when we truly see how deep our weakness grows his strength in us begins where ours comes true and ends he hears our humble cry and proves again his strength is perfect when our strength is gone and he'll carry us when we can't carry Come strong, his strength is perfect, his strength is perfect, 
become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is the Lord for those songs tonight and that sure it was to encourage us I love those songs that second song is the only one I'd heard before those other two I'd never heard those were great uh, but boy I do love that song and boy how many times are we holding on to things and uh, if we could just hold on to God as much as we hold on to some of the things in our life boy we'd be a whole lot better off I had a couple of things that I forget forgot to say uh, Paula wanted the WMU to know that there will be no more WMU meetings until September. And then I've been reading these different ones, and a lot of you are familiar with Travis Sharp and our missionary who is working in Coleman, Alabama to start that uh, work to the homeless. And the Lord has just blessed them, and they've been sharing uh, with 68 different people in the Coleman area, the, the love of Christ dealing with those homeless population. But pray for him as they are breaking ground and starting all of the work of their, uh, of their village there that will have tiny homes for the homeless that are there and they'll be bringing different ones in and the Lord is blessing in a great way. So just pray for them. Lots of construction going on and lots of needs that are being met and we thank the Lord for that. Turn with me if you would tonight in your Bible to the book of Zephaniah. We've been making our way through the minor prophets. We preached three or four messages out of Habakkuk, maybe actually three. Uh, I plan, I think, to preach one out of the book of Zephaniah. And uh, we've been doing more of an overview. We've been kind of trying to look at the book, uh, each book as we go along, uh, with a little bit of the bigger picture in mind. Uh, not necessarily with the the essence to dive way deep into each one, but to get us familiar, to see what's there. And as I often remind you, uh, when you find one that uh, piques your interest, you can go and do those studies yourself uh, and see what the Lord has for you in that place. And so we've been looking through there, working our way through, and the Lord's been blessing, and I've been encouraged by each one. And uh, so tonight we'll be in the book of Zephaniah, and I want you to go over there to chapter number one. And if you found that, stand with me. And we're going to read from verse number seven down to verse number 13 of the book of Zephaniah. The Bible says this, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice, he hath bid his guests. And it shall come to pass in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with strange apparel. In the same day also I will punish all those that leap on the threshold which fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord, 
that there shall be the noise of a cry from the fish gate and an howling from the second and a great crashing from the hills. How ye inhabitants of Maktish, for all the merchant people are cut down, all they that bear silver are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees, that say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Therefore their gods shall be their goods, excuse me, shall become a booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall they shall also build houses, but not inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, but not drink the wine thereof. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come again into your house and preach the word of God tonight. Lord, we believe that the Word of God is perfectly suited for us in the day that we live. It doesn't matter that we're going to the Old Testament and that we're finding these truths from uh, these passages of Scripture that are often uh, quickly read through, uh, that sometimes, dear God, are uh, even over-spiritualized maybe or maybe even under-spiritualized. Maybe they are just... Uh, treated as if they don't apply to us, but they're for one part. But dear God, we believe that all of the Word of God is important. It's, it's good. It's good for re- doctrine and reproof. And so tonight, dear God, as we take just a few moments and look at this passage of Scripture, look a little bit about Zephaniah, who he is and uh, what he was doing and how the Lord was using him, we pray, dear God, that it would encourage our hearts that we would get what we need out of it tonight uh, and that you'd bless us for it. Dear God, we pray that as we've been looking through these minor prophets, God, you're speaking to our heart to the fact that we need to wake up. We see that over and over, that God, we need to pay attention, not necessarily to what's going on, but to you, but to you. So dear God, help us to not be complacent, to not look elsewhere, as Greg has already sang for us tonight, not to hold on to the things of this world, but to hold on to Jesus Christ. Help us tonight, dear God, as we focus on your word just for a moment. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So there's lots of easy things that you you could go and do. And again, I'm not going to jump all into those. I'm going to give you a little bit of things that are important for what we want to talk about tonight. But obviously, the book of Zephaniah is written by Zephaniah. He is a contemporary of Jeremiah. Uh, He was there during the the time of Josiah, and there was a time of of revival a little bit. But the impending captivity by by Nebuchadnezzar and all of them was still coming. It was still there. And even though there was revival, and we're going to talk about, there's some things that are happening there. And I want you to remember, and I said, we've been going over this as an overview. And if you remember, I mentioned this, might have even been last week. But if you were to take a look at the scrolls as they come out, Isaiah is a whole scroll. Jeremiah is a whole scroll. But the books of the minor prophet are all a whole scroll as well. It's one scroll. And you read through those books. And they give you these different stories of these men, but... They very much do complement each other. They're speaking about a lot of the same topics, but yet at the same time, a lot of them are hitting very specific things. 
We also looked at the fact that when we look at these men, there's going to be some of them that are going to uh, speak to us more than others. And we looked at men like Amos, who was a, a farmer, and we looked at the different ones that did different things. We look at Hosea, who did some crazy things for the Lord in, in the family that he raised, and all so that the name of God could be glorified. And then we get to Zephaniah, and here we have a man who possibly uh, uh, was, was actually a part of the priesthood and a part of those that would be that. But all of that stuff, and you can go research that on your own. That's all easy stuff to find in your Bible commentaries and all of that stuff. But the one thing that stuck out to me that I thought was wonderful about this was this, that the name Zephaniah means Yahweh has hidden or God has hidden or Yahweh has treasured. Yahweh has treasured. And I just thought that was wonderful reminder because if you remember, when you read through the minor prophets, there's a whole lot of woes. You know what I mean? It's a whole lot of heavy stuff, right? Like, watch out, this is coming. Watch out, that's coming. And then not only is it coming uh, in your time from the king of Nebuchadnezzar, but remember, we keep talking about that he's also talking about a future that the day of the Lord is coming as well in the end times that God is going to come back. There's going to be destruction. All of this has happened. But I thought that this was wonderful to remind us, to remind the remnant of Israel that God has treasured you and God has hidden you. I'll tell you what, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we become his children, we realize, and I love this, that his eye has always been set upon us, that he has known us before we were formed in our mother's womb, that he is absolutely aware of everything about us. He has treasured us and he's also hidden us from all of the things that Satan would want to do to us. You guys remember that song uh, that the Roland family used to sing, Under His Wings? Man, I love that song, and you probably did too. And just the fact that we were reminded of the fact that God would gather us up like a, uh, a hen that would gather up his chicken and cover them and hide them and protect them from all that was going on in the outside world. And we look around, don't we? And it's easy to get overwhelmed. And it's easy to feel like, just like we've talked about with somebody, that there's nobody left. But guess what? The Lord is on our side. He will make sure that the, those that are bought and paid for by the blood of Christ will make it through. Amen? We'll make it through. And I love that when we talked about that. So there's some remnant comfort there. It just in His name. Uh, like I said, I don't want to go too much on a lot of this stuff, but I want to get there. We have talked about the fact, and this again is setting up what we're going to talk about here, that each book does deal with some of the very same uh, issues and, and also themes. When we go through the Minor Prophets, you're going to see that the Minor Prophets are dealing with the day of the Lord, that destruction is coming. We understand it and we see it in both ways. We understand it from the very direct sense that the nation of Israel is going to be judged for the way that they are living. For the fact that they've turned their, way on, uh, their uh, hearts from God, that He is going to bring this destruction. That theme runs throughout. We also see that the theme runs throughout 
And this is something that if you want to write those three down, you could go back and look through them throughout the minor prophets and you're going to find them. You're also going to find out that God is going to make sure that he will keep a remnant. That no matter what happens and what takes place, that he will have those people who are his and they are going to be, uh, they're going to make it. They're going to be there. And then also you're going to see in each one that restoration is a theme that we find throughout. We find this theme throughout the fact that he is going to take them away into captivity, but he is going to bring them back into the land. We see that also play itself out when he talks about the fact that even though the day of the Lord will come in swift judgment for the entire planet, but praise God, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Our God is a God that restores things. That's his whole plan in all that's going on. And as we move through these and we see Israel being a picture sometimes, being a type, being a shadow, being all of these things of God's dealing with man, we also see that he's still painting the picture and he's showing us the fact that as he deals with the world and as he deals with us, that God is in the business of restoring, of redeeming, of making sure that that His glory will be preserved throughout all of eternity. And that's what restoration is about. As much as I say hallelujah that I have been bought and paid for and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and it is to my benefit, it is more to the glory of God. It's His work. He's done it. And that's what we live for, the glory of God. So we see the day of the Lord. We see remnant that is protected and we see restoration that comes. That finds its way through all of it. We see in this one though that there are some very specific sins that Zephaniah is going to deal with. We've talked about this throughout. So these won't be mentioned in some of the others. We also found that there was some books of the uh, minor prophets, while they speak on sin generally, they don't name sins specifically. But in this one, he does deal with those. And I think that's so important, that whenever we come across a minor prophet and he speaks about sin, and he speaks about it specifically, that we come and we look at the sins that they're talking about, and we ask ourselves, are we also guilty of those same sins? Are there things there that we need to? Because, remember, the Word of God, it's profitable for doctrine. And what's that other one? Reproof, right? And if he starts to name sins and speak about sins specifically, I think it's important for us to look at them and see what is he saying. So as we move through this chapter number one, and look at a few of these. That's all I want to do tonight is just look at a few of those. They're a little bit different. Uh, they really are compared to the other ones. And I find this so interesting. We've dealt with idolatry. We have dealt with different things. And guess what? As we keep moving on, we're going to keep dealing with stuff. Uh, we're going to deal with all kinds of things. But in the book of Zephaniah, as I was studying and just really meditating on it. I was like, Lord, these are some different types of phrases. And we remember, we've talked about this. Poetic books, turns of phrases, things that we might not say, uh, but we have to find out what is he saying right there. 
there's some in here that are very important to us. So we're just going to jump right in, and we're going to go right to verse number 9, and we're going to look at the first one. So let's read verse number 9. In the same day also will I punish all those that leap upon the threshold, which fill their master's house with violence and deceit. There you go. You're saying, Mike, what in the world is he talking about there? Well, there you go. That's one of those idioms that is not common in our uh, taking. We're not going, remember, we take the, the word of God literally, but we understand it to mean what it means. So we're not going to come to this passage of scripture and go, you know what? If you're somebody that likes to jump on that threshold when you come through the door, you better watch out. No, that's not what we're doing, right? Okay, so you got that one, right? And it's a very odd turn of phrase. So what is he talking about? Well, he lets us know a little bit when he comes to the next part. He says, he says those that leap upon the threshold, which fill their master's house with violence and deceit. What he's talking about right here, again, is a little turn of phrase that would have been common for them, but it would have been someone who is a servant in a house, and the leap upon the threshold would meant that he kind of sits there waiting, and he's scoping the place out. He's going to into the master's house, and he's working, and he's doing work for them, but all the time that he's doing it, he's just like, when's going to be the best time to come back? When's going to be the best time that I could come in here uh, and steal from him? They literally are talking about they're scoping the place out. Now, we've, we're not unfamiliar with that. There's people that do that, and you and I are just as suspicious of anybody when we see strange people go through our neighborhood, right? We're like, what are they doing? And if you're like Basil, if they're in his neighborhood, they're definitely lost, you know what I mean? Because he lives in the middle of nowhere, and he's like, what are they doing? And so... But this is what he's talking about. Those that are working inside of the master's house, but their heart is filled with violence and deceit. And they're leaping upon the threshold. They're waiting for the opportunity to pounce and to come in and take what's not theirs. And here's the real key that I put in here. They are looking for an opportunity to exploit the goodness of the master. Because the master's brought them into his house to work, hadn't he? He's provided them with a job. He's provided them with opportunity that they would not have before. He is the one that is making sure that, that you know, they might have been out there begging for work and might have been doing all that. And we understand this from these types of passages of Scripture. We even looked at this passage of Scripture before. And it's amazing how Jesus himself is referring that the, the master would go out and find workers, right? Just pick them right out of the street. You need to work today. Then come and work in my feet. And here they are, begging for work, needing the work. And when yet they come to the master, yet they're looking around for an opportunity to exploit him and what he would have. Now you might say to yourself, Mike, you, you already told us that we want to try to see if these are an issue for us. Well... Is it an issue for us? And here's my little thing right here at the bottom. We are, we are folks that understand the goodness of God. Amen? We have. We are beneficiaries of the goodness of God, are we not? 
He has come in. He found us. He cleaned us up. It, there was nothing that we could do. This is our testimony that we would talk about often. Not, not of works lest any man should boast. I was down in the pit when he found me and he cleaned me up and, uh, and put me, set my feet on a solid rock and did all of these things that I couldn't do for myself. And we talk about it often. We say, I wouldn't have the family that I have if it wasn't for the Lord. And I wouldn't have this. And we sing his praises. But are we exploiting the goodness of God only for our own benefit? And here's where I want to put it better. Or are we expounding the goodness of God? Are we looking for an opportunity just to seize more of the goodness of God? Are we coming into the house of God with selfish intentions? Man, I really need a blessing today. Don't get me wrong. I want you to be blessed when you come in the house of God. I do. But what I really am, I think the Lord is concerned about as well, is that not only are we taking, but also that we are making known the goodness of God as well. And also that our heart doesn't become complacent. And see, when we come to the matter of serving the Lord and being in God's house and, and being those servants that are in the Master's house doing His work, you and I both know, and we also know that it's very evident that the attitude of the servant it just shows up, doesn't it? You have the type of servants that are looking to get everything that they can out of something, and then you have those that are looking to please the master, don't you? And let's just face it. So, so let's just put it right down into the level of where we are today. We all got to work jobs, and we all got to go out there and make a living and do that. And many of us probably work for an employer. Some of us might even work for big employers. And isn't it true that it seems like the bigger the employer gets, the more the employees seem to take advantage of that employer? You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, he's got enough. He can. It won't hurt them, you know. When you work for huge things, I'm sure if you work for Amazon, you're probably saying to yourself, you know what, I don't think they're going to miss, you know, uh, these 15 pens that we took today. And that's a terrible illustration, but whatever. Or maybe cutting out early a day or whatever. But what about the whole idea of even in our work being an example of, the, of Christ as well and what we're doing? Not only as we deal with it in our church, but I'm using that example to say we all know the difference between the type of employee that's just there for a paycheck and the type of employee that's actually there because maybe he likes the person he works for. Maybe he's grateful for a job. You know what, today as I was visiting, I remembered the fact that, uh, that one of the very first jobs I ever got, Jimmy Vaughn gave to me. Donald Rowland, Jimmy Vaughn gave me one of my very first jobs. And I was sitting there thinking about that and thinking, man, I'm thankful that those men gave me some work and gave me that job and I was able to make some money. And, and, and man, I just thought back on that and I enjoyed it. And hopefully, Donald, I was a good employee. He didn't say anything. Oh, man. No, he's shaking his head. But no, you know the difference. And you know what? In the house of God, we can see the difference too, can't we? We can see the one that's here only to receive and only to take, but we also can tell the difference in the one that is here to please the master. 
What is going to be our attitude? Is it to exploit the master or to expound on what the master's goodness can do? Are we the ones that go, man, yes, I have been blessed. You can too. He can help you as well. Anyway, i got to keep going. That was a little too long. Verse number 12, let's jump down to there. Look at the second one. Let's read that together. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with candles and punish the men that are settled on their lees. Here you go. He's, he did it again, didn't he? What is he talking about? But he helps us out with it. That say in their heart, the Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. Little, literally what he's saying there, and again, it's a turn of phrase that we would use as well, is, he's, is he says, I'm going to be looking for those that are resting on their laurels. You've heard that one, haven't you? You know that one. Literally, I'm looking at those who have become complacent. Isn't that interesting? It's also interesting how Jesus Christ mirrors so many of these same principles in the things that he gives to his disciples as he preaches. There was that wicked servant that went and buried everything, and he just, I'm not going to do anything. He also speaks about those that, that aren't ready when the bride comes. He, he, he speaks about these things, or when the bridegroom comes, excuse me. And he, he talks about this all the time. But this idea of being complacent, and look at this. Look at how he describes. They say in their heart. They don't say it out loud. Right? They don't say it out loud so everybody can hear. Oh, out loud, they're just like, hey, you better be ready. Hey, you better do this. But they say it in their heart. The Lord will not do good, neither will he do evil. What are they saying? He's not going to do anything. These are the people that, even though they might speak about it, they might talk about it, in their heart, they've kind of decided, you know what? I'm not even, and it goes so deep, doesn't it? I'm not sure God's really going to do anything. I addressed this the other day, too, as we were looking at these. Do you, ever, do you ever have to catch yourself saying, you really think the Lord's coming back? I mean, I've been hearing it preached about my whole life, right? Right? But do we get to a point where we kind of start to say, we don't say it out loud, if you put them in the pulpit, oh, the Lord's coming back. It could be any day. He wants everybody to shout, and you say amen, right? Why? Because it's what you're supposed to do. But in your heart, what are you saying? In your heart, what are you saying? Because what is your, your heart is also going to let us know by the things that you go out and act upon. And if we really believe the Lord was coming back, Witness might get a little bit heavier, huh? Yeah. And I know we say the right things, but once again, he's reminding us of how easy it is to be complacent. The Lord's really not going to do anything. Man, it's just, he's not going to do evil, he's not going to do good either goes so far as to almost start to even doubt. Now listen, 
if we're not careful with it, if, he, if he's not coming back like he said, if he's not going to do what he said, does he exist at all? And then you have to ask yourself, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And have we found ourselves at such a complacent place that we live as if there is no God? Unfortunately, oftentimes we do, don't we? And we need a revival. We need some Holy Spirit moving. We need some Holy Spirit conviction about the lost and dying around us. We can't become complacent. Number three. Let's go down to verse number 13 where we finished therefore. Or where we finished reading. Therefore their goods shall become a booty. Everything that they have is nothing. It will be taken away from them. Their houses a desolation. And here he says these things again that are such a common theme throughout. If, I feel like if you're reading through the book of the Minor Prophets, you're going to read these type of phrases over and over. They shall also build houses but not inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards but not drink the wine thereof. They have the houses they have the habitation that looks as if it should be good for satisfaction. They have the vineyards that look like that they would be good for them to get wine from and receive the things that would satisfy and the comforts that should come with life. But they have no peace and they have no comfort in their life. The things that God would love to do for them and bless them with and, and help them along this life's way, they don't have them. They have the outside structures of them, but they do not have the real stuff that satisfies. See, you got to go back here and remember, Zephaniah preaching with Jeremiah. There's a little bit of a revival when Josiah comes, but this revival is not long-lasting, and I believe it's somewhat superficial, which is why the, uh, the uh, Babylonians still came and Nebuchadnezzar still came and did that. And he's saying the same thing. You've got something, but it's not really real. As a matter of fact, Jeremiah speaks about it as well. In Jeremiah chapter number 2, Verse number 11, and you can write it down or go back and read it, but I'm going to read it right now. Hath a nation changed their gods, little gods, which are not yet gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. They've changed their glory for that. And then he says this, Be astonished, uh, be astonished O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Have we forgotten where the water really came from? See, what's going on here? 
They're, they're making their own cisterns. They're making their own wells. They're digging their stuff. And he's like, you're, you don't have any water. There's nothing that can fill them. And even if it did, you're so broken and it's so misguided that it can't even hold any water anyway. That all speaks, that all speaks of self-righteous religion that comes to it and says, we look what we have done. Look at how we glorify God. And we understand, we understand the children of Israel, the people, they were so unfortunately guilty of this. That if you, they, they thought they had the corner on God. They thought that it was through the, they thought this was it. But yet everything that they had done, it didn't satisfy, it didn't, it didn't hold any water. Man, I, I do not want that to describe our church. I do not want to be a place that we have all of the outside things that speak of it, but when someone comes in here, they can't find real peace. I was sharing with somebody the other day, and they were asking me about my church and about, about everything that's going on, and I was just sharing with them, and, and their testimony was just about visiting church after church and they said they said it didn't feel real they said we didn't feel like there was peace in that place there was just all of these things that were contrary to all of the things that a church should be about they couldn't find those and it's so easy to have all of that it's so easy to have it personally. It's so easy to do it as a church. And I don't want any of those things to be true of me. I want us to come into a place like this and us to look at it and absolutely know where the living water is coming from. To get out of the way and let him move and let him work. To absolutely not be complacent about what is God is doing and be very serious and very real with people about what God is doing. We still have a message, and it's a timely message, because He is coming back. He is. And I know, it might, it might not be tomorrow or the next, but He's coming back. He's coming back. So let's remember that. So, real quick. Do we exploit the goodness of God or do we expound on it? Have we become complacent? Is our revival superficial? Let's pray that it's not. Oh, what a warning is given to God's people here. We see this throughout. We see this throughout the minor prophets. If ever there was a time that we should once again remember that the day of the Lord is at hand, it's when we go through the minor prophets. They didn't believe those guys, did they? Nope, they didn't. I love thinking about that. They were some unusual guys. Go back there and look. Unusual people bringing the message of, of what they needed. And here we are today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open up the Word of God tonight. We pray, dear God, that you'd use your Word tonight. It speaks plainly. It speaks clearly. Dear Lord, we pray that you'd... Uh, Help us where we need to grow, where we need to do more. We love you, God, and uh, we're thankful for our church. Today, as we were pondering on that, 
just thinking about the fact of the blessing that it is to have this church, to have this place. Dear God, to be a place where I, I really do. When, we, when people come in and we invite them, we have a, we have a faith, we have a surety that they're going to get real genuine help here. Dear God, let us not get complacent with that. Let us not exploit it. Dear God, let us be real, genuine, and true in our worship of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing. 254. Page 254, if you need to come tonight. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own Be mm-hmm.